know, the other day, <coughs> I was over at Defiance, and uh, some of you may or may not know this, I serve as a chaplain for the Defiance uh, college football team. Been doing that for about eight years now. And um, so once, twice throughout the week, I'll go out of practice. And um, God's, God's really doing some incredible things there. I get the opportunity to talk to the team at the end of practice. They all come, take a knee, trainers, coaches, players, get to give them a challenge. And then uh, this year on Fridays, we started a coach's Bible study. And the coach's Bible study is, is growing. And then on Saturday mornings on game day, uh, the coach gives me 30 minutes with the Bible, with the whole team. And to me, that's pretty incredible to talk to a whole college football team and coaching staff on game day. Um, God's doing some incredible things over there, and, and I'm really thankful for that opportunity. But the other day I was at practice, I pulled in to the stadium and parked and went in onto the field, and I looked, and there's, there's this lady, she's probably in her late 70s, that I noticed was up in the stands watching. And she's been doing this, I noticed, for the last couple of weeks. And um, I thought, boy, she is a true fan. Or maybe she's there spying for Adrian. I don't know. Um, but anyway, practice was over. I talked to the team. I was going out to my car. And I saw her sitting in her car, and she waved me over. So I went over to her car, and she had her window down. And uh, Tim, can I have your hand for a second? And she did this. She just sort of, you know, grabbed my hand and just, like my grandma would do with me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. That's what I did back. <laughs> That's exactly what I did back. And, uh, and it was just, it was just, it was a, it was, I'm going to say this, it was a precious moment. Okay? And she just looked at me and she said, oh, those boys are just doing so good out there. And, you, oh, you know, and I just, oh, I'm such a fan. I, you know, I, I, I graduated from Defiance College back in 1800. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> nine, uh, 19, I, I lost the number now, 50-something. I, I can't remember what it was now. But anyway, um, she was just so loving being there. And, and she just said, I, I, she had a stack of newspapers. She goes, I've got an article for one of the players. Are they all coming out this way out here at the parking lot or down the other way? And I said, you know what? Some of them will walk back to uh, their dorms, taking the sidewalk, and some have parked here. But I'm not sure. Um, and she goes, oh, aren't you one of the players? <laughs> oh, you want to make me feel good? You just did, ma'am. I was like, <clears throat> no, actually, I'm not a football player, a college football player. I'm the chaplain. Oh, bless your heart. Coach Sheehan, he is such a good Christian man. You know, and then we went on from there. But I tell you, that felt so good that she mistaken me for a college football player. I walked home, you know, my shoulders back, my head's a little bit higher. And I sure doubt Jenny, and she laughed, and then everything went back down. So, uh but that beat so much a month ago when I walked into McDonald's and I ordered a coffee and the lady behind the counter looked at me and goes, is that a senior? Is that a senior? Do I look like a senior citizen? Don't answer that. Be careful. Okay. Really? Anyway, for some reason, people tend to mistake who we are. Doesn't it ever happen to you that, aren't you so-and-so? Oh, you're not him. Oh, aren't you? Oh, that's not you. 
or you know, they look at you and they're trying to guess your age and sometimes, you know, just ask a child how old they think you are and you just prepare your heart for either answer, good or bad, okay? It's just fun listening to the answers. But here's the question I want to ask you this, okay? Now we get sort of serious here, okay? But that is, would anybody ever come up to you and mistake you for not being a Christian? Ooh. Okay, yeah, I'm not a college football player, and I'm not a senior citizen, okay? But would anybody ever come up to me and look at my actions, listen to my words? I, maybe I got done with the conversation. Maybe I posted something on Facebook or Twitter or somewhere, and, and all of a sudden somebody's saying, Are you a Christian? Ooh, how would that come across? Would my actions, would my words prove to others that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? A.W. Tozer said this, If your life does not worship God, then your lips will not worship God. You know, we're concluding our, our D90X here, our discipleship series. We're going to wrap this up today. So I'm excited. God's really laid on my heart the next couple weeks to talk about a couple faith issues. And I want to talk about those in the next couple weeks. And um, as we're wrapping this up, last week I talked about the fruits, the results. You know, remember Jesus walked up the fig tree and he was just upset because it was false advertisement. We talked about that, okay? And I have to ask, you know, in relation to that last week's sermon and this week's sermon, if we keep examining ourselves, if you've done any kind of workout program over an extended period of time, you sort of get to the end and you're starting to wonder, am I seeing any change? Do I look in the mirror? Does anything look different? We ask ourselves about our same way in our faith. When it comes down to it, maybe we should ask this, okay? Because I've been going through physical therapy um, ever since the surgery on my knee. I finally got physical therapy going, and I'm wrapping up. I'm like, I have one more week of physical therapy, and I'm done. And they're going to release me, and I'm going to start running again, and life will be good. Yay, God, okay? But here's probably going to be my question when I check out this week of physical therapy, and I'm going to ask this question. What one thing should I not do? Or what one thing should I really be doing so I don't end up back here again? Because there's probably a lot of things. I could probably ask Becky, you know, she could probably tell me, you know, as far as physical therapy and all these things, all these things you should be doing. But if I said, what's one thing? What's one thing I want to make sure I'm doing so that I don't hurt myself again? What would it be? Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, because when it comes down to it, maybe we should ask Jesus, Jesus, what is that one thing you really want me to work on as a disciple? I mean, there's a lot of things that we've read from the beginning of Mark chapter 1 to now. What's that one thing, Jesus? You guys probably remember that movie. Those cowboys, Curly, that one thing, and maybe you don't remember that movie, but anyway... We always get that point in time. We just want to know. Just sum it all up. Give me that one thing. Jesus, what is that one thing? So in your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 12. And in Mark chapter 12, we're going to address that today. We're going to find out what is that one thing. And this is the way uh, Mark chapter 12 starts. First, it starts off with a parable. And it maybe says that the, entitled at the top of yours, Bible it says the parable of the evil farmers or the vine dressers. And basically, Jesus tells a story about how uh, they kept sending out these messengers as he was uh, for this farmer, and they kept sending the messenger after messenger, and they kept killing the messenger, and finally the owner sent his own son, they killed his son, and Jesus basically explains, hey, that's me sending message after message, 
prophet after prophet, my word, my word, now I send my son Jesus Christ, now you're going to crucify him. And uh, so basically either you reject or you receive the message. But unfortunately the hearers of this parable were what? They were rejecting the message, they were rejecting the parable giver, Jesus himself. So then the religious leaders asked Jesus another question, trying to trap him. So if you would read on, verse 13, they asked Jesus about paying taxes. And then they asked him another question, because again, when you stand up for Jesus, people are not always going to like your answers. They wanted to trap Jesus to get him in trouble so they confront him, and, and Jesus steps right up and says, I know you're trying to trap me, but let me give you an answer. And here's the deal. When you give an answer that is based on truth, people still won't like that answer. They will talk about you. They will gossip. They'll say things that aren't true, make accusations, pose questions, and try to trip you up. And they will ask questions that seem so absurd. It's like, where did that come from? It's similar to asking, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Did you ever hear that one before? People ask those kind of questions. Or, hey, did Adam have a belly button? Did you ever have to hear that question before? People ask observed questions, and here's the thing. Any observed question isn't less observed because we direct a question to God. Okay? Just want to throw that out there. Okay? Because sometimes we think, well, it's directed towards God, so it can't be a crazy question, right? It's still a crazy question. It really is. Then another question comes. Now, this is where we're going, okay? I just want to give you a little background on this chapter to prepare you, okay? Because now here comes another question. Verse 28. Let's look at this and let's read this. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to all this discussion, the parables and the questions about taxes, and he realized that Jesus had answered so well. So he asked a question now. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Hmm. See, this question was also planned to trap Jesus. He didn't really want to know what the most important was. This morning, I'm coming to you and saying, I want to know what the most important is, okay? But this religious leader was, and he was trying to trap him. Because, again, the rabbis figured up about 613 commands of the law, and they distinguished them from greater to less and back and forth. So here's all these commands. Hey, Jesus, which one's the most important? Because we're going to get you on this one. With that question, they wanted to see if Jesus would show disregard or any neglect at all to the law of Moses. Instead of promoting one command over another, Jesus defines the law in its essence. Love God, everything you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's read this. Verse 29, Jesus replied, The most important command is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other command is greater than these. Did you hear that? No other command is greater than these. Tell the person next to you, no other command is greater than these. Tell them. Absolutely. No other command is greater than these. Now, where did all this come from? Now, we have to remember, if we go back to Deuteronomy, back in the Old Testament... Start back there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Oh, there it is, okay. Moses helped write that, okay. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Well, that sounds like what Jesus just said, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Love God with all you have. Repeat after me. Love God with all you have. It's very simple, right? That's why we began our first lesson. I don't know if you remember this. Probably 10 weeks ago, we started off saying, how does discipleship begin? It begins with understanding who Jesus Christ is. If you don't understand him as a savior, as the son of God, as an incredible miracle worker, teacher, if you don't understand who he is in truth, you can't be a disciple. See, once you understand who Jesus is, everything changes. That's how we started this series. You have to know who Jesus Christ, Son of God is. You have to know who God the Father is. You need to know who God's Spirit is and how these three work together as one. Truly one God, right? Enables us to act <clears throat> towards Him rightly. So we give Him what is due. He is God. We are not. So as we know God, we love God. And what does God want from us? Do you ever ask that? God, what do you want from me? Here's his reply. Everything. Right? Oh, that's overwhelming. Can you sum that up? Please? God wants a complete love from us. This love is appropriate because, why? Because he first loved us. First John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. See, love begins with God. So when Jesus says, oh yeah, let me sum this all up for you. Love God. All you have. With everything you can think of, with everything you have passion for, with all your physical strength that you can give, give it all. God wants most from us is our love. When we have to think God demands 101 things from us. Oh, God wants my money. God wants my time. God wants my effort. God wants my submission, and so forth and so on. But what does God really want? He wants our love. Because see, when we really love God, then all those other things I just mentioned will come out of obedience. See, if we give God all the rest, our money, time, effort, and so forth and all that without giving our love, then it's really worthless. Because a lot of people do that. Yeah, I give. Yeah, I went to that. Yeah, I was a part of that. Did you really love God? No, I'm, I'm doing it because I'm supposed to, right? It's the religious thing to do. Some people do that because they think that's what gets them into heaven. There's no love there. They're just doing it, going through the motions. You know, if we went back to the Ten Commandments, I want to read these to you from Exodus chapter 20. Because this is where, you know, it sort of started with the Jewish people. They're always saying, hey, we're God's people Give us some boundaries. Where are we supposed to go? So God started off like this. You must not have any other God but me. One God. That was the first command. Second command was this. You must not make for yourself any idol of any kind of image. Anything in the heavens, the earth, the sea, you must not bow down and worship them. For I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. And I know this. I know a lot of times we sit there and say, sports has become such an idol. On the weekend alone, this weekend alone, millions of people will take out a whole day and devote themselves, spend all their money to go to a stadium, to watch their favorite team, to color their faces, to cheer and scream and loud and shout. They'll scream louder than we did when we sang today. They love their sport more than they love God. But here's the deal. It isn't just sports. It's everything. It's technology. It's dance. It's song. It's art. It's art. 
it's, it's anything you can think of, whatever we fully pour ourselves into passionately, we bow down to, and like, oh, if that was taken away from me, I don't know what I would do. It's become a God in your life. Jesus says, I'm God first. I'm God first. Don't be making any other images. Don't be bowing down to anything else. Don't misuse my name. We throw the name out there of God, hopefully not us, but as a nation, as a world, you hear God's name abused and misused so often. We sit there and sort of smirk at it instead of saying, hey, 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 that's my Savior. But we hear it all the time. Remember to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. You have six days of ordinary work, but on the seventh day, dedicate that to God. There's a day in which we say, I'm giving this day to you, God. And it wasn't just supposed to be a routine thing. It was a day to set aside and say, you know what? I need to remember what's, why I'm functioning on those other six days because God gave me the ability to do that. I need to take today and say, God, it's all you. It's all you. So God said this, I want you to love me. Here's how you love me. Make sure I'm number one in your life. Don't bow down to anything else. Don't misuse my name. And take time to worship me. Love me. And then he took the next six commands and said, this is how you're going to love one another. You're going to honor your parents. Kids, honor your parents. Oh, and by the way, if your parent is still alive today, you are still a kid. Okay, my mom's 83 and 81, so I'm still a kid. I still need to honor my parents, even though I'm a parent. So for all of us in here, honor your father and your mother. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor, you must not covet other things that other people have. God says you want to love one another, then don't do those things. So that's sort of how it all set out. But from there, the religious leaders, because it's like, well, what does it mean to observe the Sabbath? What does it mean to not covet? Well, we better make another rule to help us understand that rule. And then, boom, 600 plus command and laws later, it became very confusing, very legalistic, and very like, ooh, how do I live for Jesus? How do I live for God? Because a lot of people thought, well, if I just follow these commands, that's what's going to save me. And I think that's why Paul came out and said, no, it's the law that condemns you, really. It doesn't save you, because the law basically points out that you can't keep any of these commands, that you need a Savior. That's why Jesus Christ came to this world, to save us, because we can't work our way into heaven. Now look at Mark chapter 12 again. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Look at verse 30. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You may want to underline that verse. And then check the next one. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you're going to draw a box around anything, if you're the kind of person who likes to highlight things or take notes, then make sure you write this down. The very ending of what he said. No other commandment is greater than these. So if I'm checking out a physical therapy this week and I say, what one thing must I do to make sure I don't end up here again? What one thing must I do to make sure I stay healthy? What, what one thing? And that physical therapist looks at me and says, above all these other things, do this. Now let me ask you something. As a person who doesn't like crutches, surgery, or hobbling around, limping, do you think I'm going to listen? Yes. Because I don't want to end up where I was. So when Jesus Christ says, above all these things, 
Nothing is bigger than this. Love God. Everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. Equally important. Nothing above that. Do you think we could cling on to that and maybe learn something from that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to go back to that question I said at the beginning. I, I, you know, I, I want to learn what it means to be a disciple, follower of Jesus Christ. I've been reading Mark. I've challenged all of you to have a disciple partner. Hook up with somebody. Find out. Challenge each other. Read together. Encourage each other. Pray for one another. Okay? There seems to be so much, and it's a, it's a journey, right? It's a process. It's a journey. This isn't a 10-step program. Did that one. Check that one off. Check that one off. Okay, I'm at number 10. I'm done. I graduate, right? This is a journey. So because there seems to be so much, I ask this question. What one thing do you really want me to do, God? If I'm walking with Jesus, I'm one of those disciples. Jesus, what one thing? What can I do? What if I want to be your disciple, what one thing must I do? How does he answer that? Well, I think he did in Mark chapter 12. But I want to share a few other things with you, a few other scriptures, okay? You don't need to turn there. We're going to put them up on the screen, but you can write them down. Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 24. Luke 14, 33. John 8, 30. John 14, 21. All four are up there. I want to read these verses to you. Because here's the first thing. Say the first thing. Here's the thing about being a disciple of Jesus. I really... I really want to cling to what he just said in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31, okay? I really want that. I, I really want to love God and love others. But I can't do that unless I do some of these things right here. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you wants to be my follower, oh, can he be any more clear than that? You want to be my follower? You want to be a disciple? You must turn from your selfish ways, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Oh. Luke 14, 33, Jesus said this, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. I don't think Jesus is saying, go live in a box, sell everything, live with nothing. What I think he's saying is, whatever you have, it's not yours. Be ready to give up for me if I ask. If I'm going to say, I need this from you, be ready to give it up. You need give it up. Oh, five minutes to go talk to that person? Give it up. That's not your time anymore. Here's the first thing from those first two verses. I have an agenda for my life, but Jesus is saying, you want to be my disciple? Be ready to give up that agenda. It's not your way. It's my way. Here's the second thing from John 8, 30. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Ooh. John 14, 21, those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, the Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. What is Jesus saying in those two verses? Take the words of Jesus serious. First of all, it's not about your agenda. It's not about my agenda. Second of all, these words were meant to be obeyed, not just read. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 26, Jesus said this, Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. The rain comes and torrents, floodwaters rise, the winds beat against that house. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. It's like a person who builds a house on sand. Jesus said, I don't want you just to hear it. I want you to obey it. I want you to live it. 
Mark 4.13, Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? What was that all about? Oh, I think Jim uh, preached on this parable of the sowing of the seed. God's word is like the sowing of the seed. If you go back and read Mark chapter 4, that first parable, by the way, which was the first parable, that's how Jesus starts off. I'm going to tell you a story. Hey, let's see. How do I start? Let's talk about the parable of the seed and how the seed that gets planted is like God's word that gets planted in our lives. And that was the very first parable Jesus ever told. And he said this, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, you're not going to get any of the other parables. Understand that God says, here's my word, like seed, plant it in your heart, protect it, don't let the birds, don't let the things of this world choke it out. Water it, let it grow, because it will change you. It will change you. All we've done now is basically this. We've purchased the exercise equipment, we've read the manual, okay? We've, we've plugged in the treadmill, we've put on our workout clothes, we get our water, set it on the treadmill, turn on the TV, and we sit down. And we say, I'm glad I bought that treadmill. Feeling really fit. Isn't that sort of what happens? We get all, we're all set, ready to go. The exercise equipment's good to go, and we're ready to go. And what do we do? We just sort of mosey back to what felt comfortable instead of actually putting it to a sweat. That's what I'm talking about. How many of us have purchased the manual, purchased the equipment, got our workout clothes on to come to church today, but then we get comfortable, we don't apply what was purchased? We need to put love above all things. John 13, 34 says this. Let me give you the context of this. Jesus is going to get crucified probably in about 24 hours. He's going to be gone. So he gets together with his disciples. They go up to the upper room. They have a last supper together. Jesus teaches. And, it, and if you look at John chapter 13, 14, 15, if you read through those chapters, it's like you get to view into the last moments of the disciples' life with Jesus, the most important things he's going to say. And Jesus is there with his disciples. And in John chapter 13, verse 34, matter of fact, why don't you turn there with me? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Jesus says this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait, time out, time out. Didn't Jesus say back in Mark, this, this is it, man. This is, it. this is the greatest command. Nothing's bigger than these, right? Okay, now Jesus is about ready to exit earth. And what did he say? I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, new is not like uh, as far as timeline or whatever, chronological, but as in being used, as in I'm going to give you something new that, that hasn't been used yet. It's been here, but it hasn't been used yet. This is what the term of new means. And it basically goes back to the book of Deuteronomy, which I already read to you. But it's the how we are to love God and how we are to love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, strength, right? Love one another as yourself. Now Jesus says, now I'm giving you a new command, which means I'm going to tell you how to do that. Because aren't we all sort of sitting here saying that? Okay, I'll love God with everything. I'll love each other with everything. And Jesus says, good, I'm glad you're asking that because now I'm going to tell you how. Look what he says. Verse 35. 
verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Ooh. The way that he loves us, the way we are to love one another. If you have love for one another, people will know who you are. No mistaken identity. They won't come up and question whether you're a college football player or a senior citizen. They will know you're a Christian beyond a shadow of a doubt because you have loved one another. You know where that love for one another begins? Right here in this room. How do you love one another? How are we doing with that? Look at John chapter 13. Let's back up to the very first five verses. John 13, verse 1. Because Jesus just said this, and I don't know if the disciples got it. He had just shown them the extent of his love, his full extent of his love. In John chapter 13, verse 1, it says this, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his Father. He now showed the disciples the full extent of his love. It was time for supper. The devil had already enticed Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to carry out his plan to betray Jesus. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and he had come from God, would return to God. So he got up from the table. See, Jesus is so secure in who he is, his identity. I came from God. I'm going back to God. I am the Son of God. I'm going to get up now, and I'm going to show you how to love one another. And look what he does. Verse 4. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped the towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel he had around them. He's the Lord. He's the rabbi. He's the teacher. He's the Son of God. And he took himself from that position, exalted above every other name, high and lifted up, as we just sang, right? And he stepped over into this world and said, I'm taking on the position of a servant. Because you see, when they walked into that house that night, when they walked in, what should have happened is there should have been a servant there with a water basin and towel to wash off the disciples' feet. Anybody that walked in the house, we're going to wash your feet. Why? Because when we eat, we sit down at a table that's yay high, and we recline on our arm as we eat, which means my feet are in the face of somebody else, and somebody else's feet are in my face. So we're going to make sure that our feet have been washed by a servant. And all those disciples did prior to this was walk down that road. Hey, I bet Jesus loves me more than you. Oh, I bet he loves me more than you. I get to carry the money bag. Oh, I was with him on the transfiguration. Oh, I was with him when he did this. And they're just talking about who's the best, who's the greatest. Oh, look what I did for Jesus. And they walk in there, and they plop themselves down. Nobody takes on the role of a servant. Nobody shows love towards one another. And Jesus, showing the full extent of his love, gets up, wraps the towel around him, and starts washing each and every feet that's in that room. The full extent of his love. What does it mean to love like Jesus? Basically, disregard your position, your ego, your status, everything about you. And give to other people what they don't deserve, their greatest need. Everyone in this room needs love, right? And everybody in this room has the love of God in them. How are we doing with taking the love of God in us and giving it to one another? We cannot go out and tell people about the love of Jesus if we can't love each other the way Jesus loved us. 
Jesus said, here's the new command. It's fresh because it hasn't been done yet. This is how you love God. This is how you love one another. You love each other as I have loved you. I'm giving up everything for you. That's love. That's love. John 15. Turn over a couple chapters. Verse 9 through 17. Jesus said this, I have loved you even as the Father loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey me, you remain in my love. And just as you obey my Father, remain in his love. I told you this so you'll be filled with joy. Yeah. Your joy is going to overflow. I command you to love each other in the same way that I love you. And here's how to measure it. The greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives for their friends. Did you hear that? You, you want to measure how you're doing in loving each other? Then give up your life for your friends. Give up your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ. The early church did all the time. Now, that sounds pretty tough for us, right? Listen carefully. Sacrificial love for one another. Sacrificial love for one another. Repeat after me. Sacrificial love for one another. Say it. You see, the disciples, 12 disciples, they heard more than anybody else. They saw more than anybody else. They saw more miracles. They heard more sermons. They were there on the spot, right? And the last night together, what is the one thing that Jesus needs to express to these men who would change the world forever? This is a new command I give you. Love each other as I have loved you. Sacrificial love for one another. We want to be a church that grows, not just in size, not in filling up seats, but that grows as a disciple of Jesus. We've got to get better at loving one another. All of us. All of us. None of us are exempt. We're not there yet, right? Until we walk through the gates of heaven and we're in the presence of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, we can all continue to love one another with the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. As they're coming forward, I'm just going to give you a story that I read. And this story sort of helped me sum this up. Okay? This story comes from Dave Simmons. He wrote this book called Dad, the Family Coach. And this is what he shares in his book. He shares a moment when he had with his two kids when he went off to town. This is what he said. I took Helen and Brandon to the mall, do a little shopping. And as we drove up, we spotted this big Peterbilt truck, 18-wheeler, packed with a sign on, his, on the side of it that said, Petting Zoo. The kids jumped out in the rush and said, Daddy, Daddy, can we please go? Can we please go inside and check out the petting zoo? Well, what they'd done, they'd taken the petting zoo and take it inside the mall so that parents could put their kids in a safe, secure area to do the petting zoo while the parents went and shopped if they wanted. So dad said, sure. So he pulled out a quarter, flipped one to his son, flipped one to his daughter, and said, I'm going to go to Sears, and uh, you guys have fun. So he left his kids right there at the petting zoo. He took off to Sears. And as he took off to Sears walking, he turned around and surprised to see that his daughter was walking right behind him. He bent down and looked at her and said, what's, what's wrong? She looked up. As you can imagine a little girl looking up, eyes. You can tell something's going on here in her eyes, a little sad. She said, well, Dad, it cost 50 cents. So I gave Brandon my quarter. And then she said the most beautiful thing ever he said, she said he heard. She repeated the family model in their family that 
their family model is love is action. Dad sort of shook his head. She had given Brandon a quarter, and he said, no one loves cuddly little creatures more than Helen. She had seen, she had heard love is action at home. It started at her home. And that's what they learned from the Word. And now she had incorporated it into her little lifestyle, and it became a part of her life as a little child. Love is action. Love is action. Well, Dad said, what do you think I did? Now I'm going to ask you this. What do you think he, he did? What do you, would you do? Because it's not what I would have done and what he did took me a different way down the story. He said, as soon as I finished my, my errands, I took Helen to the petting zoo. We stood by the fence and we watched Brandon inside the petting zoo having fun, petting all the animals, cuddling up with them, having a blast. Meanwhile, Helen just had her face, her chin, rested on the fence, just looking in, very quiet. He said, I had 50 cents burning a hole in my pocket. I never offered it to Helen. She never asked for it. Because she knew the family model is not just love is action, but love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. And when you love, benefits accrue to another person's account, not yours. Love is for you, not me. Love gives. It does not grab. Helen gave her quarter to Brandon and wanted to follow through with her lesson that it is sacrificial. Dad could have very easily given that to her, but then she would have never learned the lesson of what it feels like to sacrifice in love. Wow. Love is sacrificial action. Jesus said it first. Now we get the awesome, incredible privilege of living it out. You want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Love is sacrificial action. We get to show the world. You and I were chosen by the God of this universe to communicate the greatest message ever. What an incredible privilege. Don't underestimate what God has given you and I to do. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, what an amazing God you are that you make your word pretty clear. Now, very clear. Let me sum it up with two two commands. Love God, love others. But then you said this. I'm going to show you the full extent of my love. This is a new command I give you. To love each other as I have loved you. God, your son came to this earth for us. He didn't, he didn't just tell us. He showed us. Love is sacrificial. Lord, instead of us walking around talking like a bunch of Christians, let us live like a bunch of Christians. Let us live in a way that shows our love for you. What an incre incredible privilege you've given us as your children to do this. So with honor and with humble hearts,
you say thank you, because we really don't deserve it ourselves. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And maybe somebody in this room right now needs to say that and confess that. But they've never, they've never surrendered to you. They've never placed their faith in you. They've never confessed with their mouth that you are Lord. So right now, Lord, during this time of prayer, if there's a heart in here that needs to express that, Lord, may those words come to you. May they confess their sins. May they bow their hearts to you in all humbleness and ask for forgiveness and ask you to be the Lord of their life. Lord, for all of us in this room who've already made that decision, we, we are believers. We have confessed. But then, Lord, help us today to walk out here saying love is sacrificial action. That's a new command. I want to live this out. I don't want anybody to mistake my identity for who I am or what I believe. And it starts here in this room. It starts here as a church. We cannot be a church that bashes each other. We cannot be a church that bashes other churches. Forgive us, Lord, if we've done that. There's no room for that in the body of Christ. You did not come to this earth to die for us Christians to be selfish. You came to this earth to free us from those things so we can live obediently and victoriously. We pray for the other churches in this community, in this state, around the world, that we all as one rise up as your children and live in a way that honors you. Help us to live the sacrificial love, Lord. We love you. We sing a song to you now. In the name we pray. Amen.